Hello, welcome to another episode of The High Ground, powered by Premier Companies. Ryan, how are you today? Well, I'm fine, like always. So I told you. <laughs> another glorious said, yeah, day at a, Premier Ave. There you go. That's going to be our standard answer from every, here on out. Another yeah. glorious day at Premier Ave. Every day is a holiday and every meal's a feast <laughs> at Premier Ave. Premier companies, wow. putting it on thick. There you go, yeah. I'm hey, sure. we, we, we have get a that thing. Another... We get that edited out. <laughs> we got our first edit. <laughs> we got another special guest in with us today in a farm legacy series. Yeah. With us today is Brian Fisher, uh, Fisher Farms. How are you doing today, Brian? I'm, I'm doing great. Uh, I'm just trying to do as well as you guys are. Wow. I mean, every day's a... That's why I came, because I heard that's how it was every day down here. Just to yeah, hang we're out not hiring. No. <laughs> yeah, we're not hiring. Okay. I mean, you can. Yeah, you could volunteer. <laughs> so, so it's like the job I got now. Yeah, I got you. There you okay. go. All right, there you go. So, so no, thanks for having me. Well, before we get started on on all the important questions, we've got probably the hardest question, and that's the question of the day, Brian. So, and uh, Ryan came up with this one, so you can blame him. I'll take credit for it. I, I will be happy to blame him. <laughs> and our listeners now are waiting to hear what it is. But the question of the day is, if you had a remote control for your life, not your wife, okay. but your life, if you had a ro- remote control for your life, would you hit uh, pa- fast forward, pause, or rewind? Did I get that right, Ryan? Yeah. Yeah. So for your life. For my life. Well, that's you know that's a more serious question than I've seen on here before a few times. I know it. You've had some funny ones. We were told you were a serious guy. So, you know, I've been accused of that before. That sounds like my kids, Dad. You're just too serious, Dad. You can do your you can do wife if you want to, but Ryan and I will stick with life. No, you know, no, no I don't have it. You know, that does remind me one time though. I was um, my wife and I were at a party, and and it was like one of those. Um, Oh, they have questions, you know, and you're supposed to, couples are supposed to ask each other, you know. Oh, how well do you know each other? Something like that, right? And uh, one of the questions was, I asked my wife, I had to ask her, how'd that go? If, how would your second husband be different (laughs) than me? Oh my gosh. (laughs) And without even thinking, she said he'd be a mute. I mean, without (laughs) even thinking. And I thought, I think she thinks I talk too much, right? (laughs) Just maybe so, oh but God. but for today's question, uh, I think pause, pause. Um, it's interesting because when I was thinking about it here, when I was talking about that, I think in my life most of the time, I probably subconsciously you're thinking fast forward, right? There's something in your life that you're like, I'll be glad when this is over. I'll be oh, glad yeah. when this is over. I'll be glad when this is over. Except that when you really think about it, then it's always over. It's always over. It's always over. Right? You know and. Uh, you know, my wife and I, I'll be glad when the kids are out of school and, I'll, you know, this and that. But I think pause. I don't – would I have the same knowledge that I have today if I re, if I was going to rewind? Like, if I went back 20 years, do I have today's knowledge? Nope. You lose all that. See, then no way. <laughs> no way. No way would I rewind. I, I like where I'm at. I, I You know, I'm not uh, – I'm still in pretty, you know, good health, still young enough to to do what I want to do. But some of those lessons you learn in life in your 20s and your 30s, they're hard. They are. I don't yeah. want to do that again. They are. So I think I'd pause. Ryan? I am the same. I I like where I am. We're uh, our kids are doing well and health is good. And and uh, I think I feel about you. I'm still young enough. I feel pretty good. And uh so yeah, pretty happy. I and if I had to lose what I know today by rewinding, I certainly wouldn't do that. And um and occasionally when my knee hurts or something, I don't want to fast forward either. I'm not looking forward to that either. So I'm a, I'm a pause. Sal? 
I uh, now you've already fast forward on beyond where we are, so <laughs> I don't know. I'm anxious to hear what your age group says. I my age group. <laughs> Oh my gosh! You're gonna to have to edit this, right? You'll have to rewind to get back where we are. So you can use that if you want. Oh boy! But you know, I tell you what, I will use rewind. Um, and I am in a great spot now too. Um, but just had a lot of fun getting here today. And um, you know, it's, it's no different when you get to be my age, Ryan. You'll you'll miss a lot of folks, right? <laughs> But no, just uh, had a lot of just wonderful life growing up. A lot of hard lessons. You're right. I don't want. I don't like those again. I remember I got really smart when I hit my teenage years. Genius, and I couldn't believe how little my dad knew. And then after I got to about 28, 29, 20, he just kept getting. My dad kept. Getting he learned smart. a lot, didn't he? He <laughs> kept getting smarter and smarter and smarter. He learned but, a lot. Uh, yeah, I think I'd hit rewind on a few spots. It was just so much fun. There you go. All right. All right. Well, well, we're doing the Farm Legacy Series, Brian, and you are here because we want to um, want to shine a light on our customers, we want to shine a light on our members, and uh, and have positive advocates for agriculture. And um, obviously, we've we've geared this thing to not only our customers and our members, but also our non-farming communities as well. So, uh, and we all have neighbors, and most farmers in today's world, with less than one percent of the population being farmers, most of your neighbors aren't farmers. So we want to talk about your operation, obviously, uh, uh, and, and just give a little better perspective on what you do as a farmer. I think most, probably all farmers wear that badge with pride, and uh, this is our opportunity to talk about it a little bit. So, Fishers, mm-hmm. what year did your farm start, and who started it? My grandfather and grandmother bought the farm in 1933, um, middle of the Depression. Wow. Um, probably literally trying not to starve to death. So it was, uh, I think it's 60 acres and, uh, bought it off of a distant family. Um, and, uh, had, uh, I think one child at the time. And then they started Fisher Seeds in 1938. Um, that was kind of the time for that. Bex, I think started about the same time. Pioneer. I mean, all those companies were starting about that time. You know, that's when we're learning how to make seed corn, right? And so uh, my grandfather um, had a, a bit of a claim to fame. Um, he was the world corn king six times. Um, after, the, after he won it the sixth time, they banned him and made him a judge. <laughs> and uh, so in those days, you would uh, find uh, the best 10-ear sample. They had these wooden trays, and uh, you'd, you'd find the best 10 ears in your field, and then you would take it to this competition. And my dad will tell the story that when he was a kid, the dining room table, the end tables, anything in the house that could hold something had ears of corn all over it, you know, because that's just what they did. And huh. so of an evening, my grandfather would walk the fields just trying to find those those uh, 10 ears. And the reason they made him a judge was he actually found somebody that was cheating. Um, uh, one year he could tell by the eye. So that was kind of his thing. Um, I think he probably got a lot of enjoyment from that. He had to quit school in sixth grade. Uh, because his uh, mother died in childbirth uh, with a with what would have been a younger sibling, and uh, his dad was in a wheelchair. So hard living. Wow. But was a farmer. Wow. Um, my grandmother um, was probably um, the more progressive business type. 
Um, she probably really helped a lot with the uh, with the seed business. Um, you know, it was that time when she probably did the stuff in the office and grandpa's working out in the field. And uh, in today's world, I would guess she would be a businesswoman. But it, in the 1930s and 40s, it was a different, different time. So that's how we got our start. Uh, they raised seed corn. Um, and then in, uh, I think about 1970, uh, my dad, um, I tell the story when people are taking tours up there that um, there's a, used to be a milking barn, and that's where we clean um, some soybeans now. And somehow, uh, Dad wanted to convince Grandpa that we needed, we had a corn house, but he wanted to convince him that we needed to clean soybeans too. And I can't imagine how that conversation would have went that we didn't need the cows, that we need to clean soybeans. <laughs> um, my grandfather died when I was six, but um, I didn't know him well, but I did realize that he was not much for negotiation, even <laughs> at a young age. Pretty serious guy. Pretty, pretty serious fella. Um, so uh, uh, so I would guess my grandmother got that done, got the negotiations done one way or the other, right? And uh, and so Probably had a way of doing that. Probably had a way of doing that, yeah. yeah. You, oh, you like sleeping inside. Oh, okay, all right, that's what we're going to do then. Um, so, uh, started clean soybeans and wheat and, and that's kind of where Fisher seeds got its, got its birth in the early seventies. So we sold seed corn, seed beans, uh, wheat to, um, I usually say customers that you can't drive off with a stick. Um, there's a local mom and pop place. Didn't have a sales arm or a marketing arm or, you know, you sold locally to, um, we're in Shelby County and then the counties around that. So mm. did that for a long time. Uh, and then with Monsanto and uh, traits, that kind of complicated all that a little bit. It was hard for a, a really small place to deal with that. Um, we we had um, farm was growing a little bit, uh, still selling some seed. But it's kind of the mid nineties. Yeah, yeah, probably early. Yeah, and and a little before that, um, we were looking for a way to um, get a little more cash flow. And we didn't, we didn't have uh, enough seed sales to fill all our acres. So somebody had asked my dad. They said, uh, "What do you think about raising some food grade corn?" And and uh, at the time, it was uh, there was a place that was going to make corn chips, and they wanted a little bit different kind of corn. Which corn chips probably in the late '80s not quite as popular as they are today. And uh, you know, they said if you could if you could raise this corn, always looking for some way to value add. You know something to do more, so we started raising uh, yellow corn, and we would send it to a place that would make corn chips out of it. Then a few years later, somebody said, "You want to raise some white corn?" And what have you ever heard about white corn? I remember Dad telling us story. He says, "Well, I've heard that it won't yield, it won't stand, and it won't dry." <laughs> and they said, uh, "Well, you want to try some?" And he's like, "Yeah, sounds like a good idea. Yeah, why not? Why not? <laughs> so we'll try that, right?" So then we started raising white corn, and. Uh, so I started raising food-grade corn uh, in, in the 80s and 90s. Um, this time, the seed was kind of, it was kind of obvious that that wasn't going to be our main focus of raising seed corn. So there's kind of three parts to our, our company now. Uh, I always kind of put my hands together, my fingers together, and I say they're, they're separate like your fingers, but they're together like my hands are folded now. You know, the one is we farm, and and when we... When you drive around the Midwest, I, I hired a few people yesterday, and they're not from a farming background at all. So they have no idea what we do, but they want to get into ag. And they're like, so, you know, we're talking about the business. And I said, well, when you drive through the Midwest and you see field after field after field after field after field of corn, 
I said, you know, a lot of that's going to an ethanol plant or to feed an animal. I said, none of our corn goes for that. So it's all food-grade corn. It's going to end up on your plate, but it's not sweet corn. It's the corn they make, corn chips, tortillas, cereal, bourbon, grits, meal, stuff like that. And we raise white corn, raise yellow corn. We have non-GMO, we have GMO. So it's a lot of, lot of that. So that's what we raise on our farms, uh, corn. And then the soybeans are either seed beans or food-grade soybeans. The food-grade soybeans are non-GMO. And we'll end up exporting those to Japan for mostly tofu, but some soy sauce as well. Um, and so that's kind of what our farms are. Uh, then the food grade side is we have a, a soybean tower and a corn tower where we run this corn. You know, if, if uh, when a farmer harvests corn, you know, it's got chipped and broken kernels. It's got cobs. It's got leaves. It's got an occasional mud ball. It's got a bolt in it. It's got a piece of glass. It, stuff ends up in there, you know. And so we run it through machines. It takes all that out. But then you can sell it to somebody that's going to put it in a pot and make it into corn chips or cereal or whatnot. And then we have a soybean tower that pretty much does the same thing, runs it through these um, machinery to do that. And then we'll package it up. Uh, Most of our corn is domestic business. Uh, We do export to Japan, Korea, Costa Rica. Uh, Last year we did a bunch to Egypt, Um, some different one-offs. Um, and then the soybeans is kind of backwards of that. It's mostly export with a little bit of domestic. So, and that's our, what we call Fisher food grade. So, and then Fisher seeds, we have a soybean tower where we bag soybean seed. So growers from mostly around the state, but a little bit of Ohio too. Um, and Kentucky will haul in and we, we bag for a large seed company. So that's what we do. So how do you package the beans? Uh, what what package size for export or whatever? How do they leave your farm? How does this stuff leave your farm? In in shipping containers. So the um, most of it leaves in one metric ton sacks. So those just look like uh, mini bulk bags that a farmer would get his seed in. So one metric tons, two thousand two hundred four pounds. So we will put twenty of those on a shipping container and and ship them back over there. Some of them bulk. Uh, we don't do a lot of small bags anymore. Because uh, we used to have um, riots at work when we would ask people to stack sixty-seven pound bags, they didn't want to do Can't that. Imagine. Yeah, I don't want. Like, or we could just put them in these bigger ones and we'll lift them up a forklift. So, like, let's let's go with that. <laughs> so let's everybody with, stood to that side yeah, of the line. <laughs> we, yeah. So that's how they leave. Uh, we, we get the uh, uh, shipping containers from usually Cincinnati or Indianapolis and send them back. So we're an accidental exporter. I like to say uh, we had no idea how to do that mm. and. Uh, through a series of events. We started cleaning food-grade soybeans. We built a new soybean tower, and the old one, uh, which is in this milking barn, if you'll remember, so to speak, um, we weren't going to use it, but we were just trying to figure out how to use the new tower. And so for a year or two, it sat empty, I guess, and uh, somebody called and was kind of in a pickle and said, would you clean some food-grade soybeans for me? Um, I need to export these to Japan, and would you clean them for me? I said, yeah, we know how to do that. So we did it, and then that, you know, it's kind of like um, when you volunteer at church, if you don't screw it up too bad, then they ask you to do it again. <laughs> yeah, you know? for life. Yeah, yeah, for life, yeah. So then the next year, he's like, you want to do that again? And then it kind of kept going, and then we met a few um, Japanese customers and uh, kind of just started from there. So now it's kind of been growing here the last few years. It started off as I wanted just to learn about it, you know, but then uh, I'm uh, – when so I have a really hard time telling anybody – no customers, no, especially. You know, I remember the first seed customer we had. That's why I knew he'd be on here. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, like I said, we yeah. got the low hanging fruit. <laughs> yeah, it'll yeah. get harder from here. Yes, 
So I remember that one of the first seed customers we had, he said, now, do you mind putting in this package type? And I said, sir, I'll put them in Dixie cups as if you'll pay me for it. I said, I don't, it doesn't matter to me. I, I just remember how hard it was to get business at the beginning, you know? So, um, we had, uh, a couple, uh, Japanese companies that we were, we weren't doing the exporting. Like, so you can export, right? I'm like, sure. We, yeah, we can do that. You know? And then when they leave, you're like, how are we going to do I don't even do know how that? to get them out the parking lot. Yeah. I, don't, I have no idea how we're going to do that. So we, we figured it out a little bit. We're learning and we started uh, exporting on our own uh, in the middle of COVID, which added to the excitement. Oh, wow. wow. Yeah, so that was cool. You know, no containers coming over. They're just shipping them right back. So that was that was fun. Uh, but yeah, that's that how they get fun. over there. I've seen, um, and that's neat that you put them in totes, but I've been at different grain facilities over in Ohio where I see them, um, and they're exporting, and they're just it's just bulk, and they're blowing it into the containers. You don't do a lot of that. It's, it's some, most, some of it, some, but but mostly not. Okay, no. and then most of the ones we put in bulk will actually have a, a liner in the container. It looks like a great big bulk bag that's the entire side size of the container. Hmm. So we'll do that. But most of the customers that we have want, want them in in sacks. Is Brian? Is it? Um, I never. Uh, we think about when you go through the processing part, you would think you would take that somewhere else to do the processing, but you made the investment locally mm-hmm. to do it right there. Is that pretty, that's pretty unique, isn't it? That I wouldn't think that a lot of folks would be where it would come right from the farm. They'd usually take it somewhere and then it would be cleaned and exported from there. It was a natural fit uh, after cleaning seed. So when we were a seed business, mm. the the process that you put seed corn through is is very similar uh, process as cleaning grain. Hmm. So that's why it was a fit for us. Sense. You know, so that's how we got at the time, you know, when you're when you're trying to get started, when you're cleaning seed and you're not doing a lot, you're cleaning corn seed, we'd maybe clean it three or four months a year, right? So you're like, be nice to do something the other eight months a year too, right? And uh, so that's how we started cleaning food grade corn. We thought we could, we actually ran it through the seed corn tower originally. And we cleaned corn through there, and that's kind of how we got our start. So it's it's the same process, and it's the same process on on the soybeans. Really, I mean, obviously you're not treating the ones that you're that you're sending yeah. off for for food, but other than that, it's the same process. The only thing that's different, uh, food grade soybeans and corn, you're going to have destoners, so that they're taking little rocks out, which is remarkable how many are in a, a, a bin. You just wouldn't think it, but they are, and then magnets. And and then there's metal detectors in in some of them, so that's kind wow. of the newest thing we've got. Where we run it through metal detectors to get, you know, aluminum and stuff that won't stick to a magnet. So neat. Yeah. Huh. So seed, uh, you're in the seed business, but um, somebody might be wondering, like myself, what's the difference between food grade seed stock and and commercial like food uh, feed grade so a soybean is growing out in the field we grow a an enlist bean out in the field yeah and that that gets sold for for biodiesel or hog feed or whatever where does your seed stock come from we buy that from monsanto or a bear or whoever mm-hmm. so where does is that a different seed that goes to food grade for food grade i'll start with corn you know if you drive down the the road, you can't tell the difference between food grade corn and, and corn that's going to go to poet. Okay, you, know, you can't tell the difference if if you if you put it in your hand. Um, if you had a trained eye, you might be able to tell the difference. Uh, 
it it's usually has a higher test weight called hard endosperm corn. It just works better for that. You you can make food products out of the other the other corn. It just doesn't work as well, and their yield isn't as high. So they won't get as many corn chips, or they won't get as much cereal. They won't get so the yield's not quite as well. But so we raise special hybrids that most of the seed companies sell, and then soybeans. The food grade soybeans are all non-GMO, so that's the big difference there. Okay, that's the stumbling block for to get most growers right there. If, as you know, we're we're going back to pre-Roundup days and raising non-GMO beans. Yep. Okay. Um, change gears a minute. Uh, other family members in mm-hmm. the in the operation. Yeah, I can imagine that as it's expanded since 1933, that mm-hmm. it's got more family members. So who all's involved, and and um, what are their responsibilities? Well, my dad still works. Uh, he he has slowed down. He probably only works sixty hours a week instead of eighty now. Uh, which somebody's uh, got to run the place. I know. Which I I you know I always tell dad. I wonder like, when I, them boys are going to show up to work. <laughs> I, I hope he works till he's a hundred because it's it's uh, he's great help and it's it's hard to find good help. You know, so uh, dad is still heavily involved. My dad is truly the person. A lot of people say this, but this is him. His vocation is his vacation. He loves what he does. Loves what a blessing. It. Yeah, he loves it. You know, and, and <clears throat> I know this summer he said we were talking about vacation, and he actually was talking to one of our employees, and he said, why would he might go on vacation when he can you? do this every day? And he was serious when he was saying <laughs> yeah. it. You know, I mean, he loves it. And I love my job, but he takes it down that level. So he loves it. Uh, he's great help, um, and he's been there the whole time. And is the, the driving force behind our company. He's done a great job building it. So uh, then my brother works there. He's a couple years younger than me. Brad, for the most part, handles uh, the food grade corn side, and then I handle the the seed beans and the and the uh, food grade soybean side. And then my sister just started working there. My wife always says that however long I say something is, it's been twice that long. So I guess she's been working. I'm thinking she's worked there a year and a half, so it's probably been three years. Okay. <laughs> or five. <laughs> or five yeah. or something like that. So she worked in the hospital industry for 25 years, and then we were needing some help, and she was looking for a change. So she works there now. She uh, handles, um, I guess I didn't talk about that. We we bought a, uh, a facility in Rush County. We needed to load rail cars. And uh, we have never done that before, didn't know anything about the railroad. So we bought a railroad site, and we're loading rail cars and sending food-grade corn to different customers that, that want it by rail. And so she, she loads the cars. She handles all of that. So she's our, she's our railroad tycoon. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Okay, good. That's it for family? That's it for family. Let's see. Yeah, that's it. Okay. How many employees total? Thirty thirty-five. Somewhere in there. Okay. So yeah, I don't know. You know, are uh, they limited to the seed production or the the actual processing piece, or do you have hired hands on the farm as oh, well? Oh sure. I mean, they're yeah. all. And do they switch jobs? Do you yeah. do you hire somebody and tell them that the fine prints where your job description is? Is that what you do? <laughs> what, what I normally say is, you know, the great part about working here is there's a lot of variety. Yeah. And one of the bad things about working here is there's a lot of variety. <laughs> uh. There are people that are, you know, these people are usually more on the farm. These people are usually more in the soybean tower. But then, you know, it's a farm. Right. There's different things to do Mm -hmm. every day. And so that's been really good for people that like variety. But I I handle a lot of the hiring. And 
I really try to talk about that, and I think I've learned a lot of lessons on that. I didn't do that right at the beginning. I like variety, but some people don't. You know that. Oh, that's true. Yeah. When you show that up every true. day and you don't know what you're doing, or you got you know. So I I I've probably lost an employer or two because I put them in a a spot that I shouldn't have where they needed a little more routine. So now with the soybean towers and the corn tower, that 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 work is a little more routine. So we'll try to fit people where where's best for them. But that's good counsel for us too because we like to <laughs> we may be barking up the wrong tree because we the same way we're like oh we got lots of variety here and there are, there are those that would rather have it. Kind of a, a, a more predictable day at work. I, I think so. Uh, yeah. that, that's been a lesson I've learned in the last six months. It, uh, I, I used to switch people around back in the soybean tower on different jobs. You know, oh, you can do this for the morning, or we'll switch every two hours because I didn't like doing the same thing. And and now I've completely went 180 on that. Now we're sticking people more in the same, and they seem happier. And, and you know, um, mistakes are less. So I think maybe there's a fine line between variety and predictability. Yeah. You had the names on a whiteboard at one time. I was in your office mm-hmm. and everybody's kind of areas of, of responsibility mm-hmm. for the next 30 days and, and had them in the, so it was a whiteboard so you can move, people can move yep. around. So yep. that was pretty neat. That same whiteboard's still there. Is that right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> nice. Uh, so you've already told us how much you've, You've changed and diversified and moved. So what's your operation look like in five years? Whew. Well, you know, Harold here, he always he's a strategy guy. I always <laughs> feel like I'm I'm bad at that. I, I always feel like I'm trying to get through the next five minutes. I agree. <laughs> you know, I'm like, man, I don't know. Uh, I, I if do you say tactician, it sounds better. Is that better? <laughs> Just, I need a better word. <laughs> I always feel like, well, I'm putting out today's fires, and tomorrow we'll put out tomorrow's fires. Yeah. Uh, I, the first 20 years that I worked there, or 25, I guess it is now, the thing I was most worried about, not most worried about, um, I used to think, what are we going to do? You know, what are we going to do? How am I going to get business? Well, how's this going to work? And now it's, we've kind of figured that out a little bit. Uh, and I mean that humbly. I'm not saying that, you know, we, but now it's who's going to help us do it. So I, I think we have a tremendous opportunity to grow over the next five years if we can figure out how to hire people effectively to help us do that. And that's been a lot better the last two or three months. But as you guys probably know, the last three or four years, that's been kind of tough. Yeah. That's been kind of tough. So we've tried to change several things. And I think some of them are working. Um, tremendous opportunity to grow uh, for all the you know terrible stuff you hear on the news. It's still the greatest country in the world with a whole lot of opportunity to to have a really successful business. If you work hard and take the opportunities when they come around, whether it's a railroad spur, a rail spur, or whatever it is, you've got to be willing to see the need and take advantage of it. Yeah. You know, take the risk. And I think most of the things we've done that have been the most rewarding were the scariest to do. You know, you had to take a risk and you weren't exactly sure if it was going to work out, but it usually does if you keep grinding. So you're involved outside of your farm and other organizations and stuff. So you sort of have a perspective, a 360 perspective on agriculture. You're a good advocate for ag and and a, a good person to talk to. So what's your largest obstacle that you see in agriculture right now? What is out there that that is a stumbling block for all ag? Misinformation. Okay. Uh, which I guess probably means you guys are going to have a job for a long time doing this, right? Getting the right information out there. I hadn't made that 
connection until I just said it, but I think misinformation. Uh, somebody told me, I don't know if I read this or somebody told me this, but they said that when they, when they do studies, um, that, that the, the consumer likes farmers but doesn't like farming. I think that's really interesting. You know, I, I don't think most people understand how, what's going on out there. Um, and I guess that's what you guys are trying to do, right? So I, I think misinformation, now we're still going to keep farming because people are still going to keep eating. Um, but, but I think they can make it harder on us. They're trying. They're trying. They're certainly yeah. trying. So regulation is, yeah, for certain. Well, regu- yeah, and regulation's tough because whenever we don't like the regulation, I'm speaking farming as an industry, right, or as a, a group of farmers, well, we don't, you know, we need to do it this way, and 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 it shouldn't. This shouldn't be, and we sh- we don't want that regulation. And we want you to get rid of that, right? And then when they say, then then the consumer will say, "Well, um, we don't think that uh, Roundup is safe," and we'll say, well, "We have regulation for this, and and we've had all these people review this, and this is this is great." So on one hand, we'll talk about how we don't like regulation, and on the other hand, we'll talk about how we do like it. Except the kicker is, both of those things are accurate. And I think that's really hard to deal with. And I think what's now it seems like the regulation is driven by the narrative that wants to be told by whoever's in power or whoever's working there. And there's a drastically different message being taught to this generation than was before. Um, I'll butcher this quote. Uh, do you guys? Did you guys ever watch that... Uh, John Adams miniseries. It's on HBO for five or six years ago. I haven't. No. Cooper's probably seen it, I bet. He's a political guy. He is. Adams is with the French. And so he's over there and he's trying to get support, right? Because they're trying to go against the English and they don't have any money and don't know how to do it. And Adams is kind of a serious kind of fella and the French are not serious at all, right? They're, I can't remember if that's the queen he's with or somebody. And, and they're all having a good time drinking wine and this and that. And so the queen looks over and she says, well, Mr. Adams, did you did you go to the opera last night? You know, and, and he's thinking like a lot of farmers would be like, no, I didn't go to the opera because I'm trying to figure out how to get this done so we can get back over there and try to save lives, right? But he knows he can't give that answer. And he says, I don't I don't really have a music for or an ear for music. And and they're not liking that because, you know, they're thinking, What's wrong with you? And he says something like, I must study politics and war so that my children will have the right to study mathematics and philosophy. And my children will have to study commerce and navigation and agriculture so that their children have the right to study music and art and painting. And they love it, right? Because then it, you know, kind of works pretty well for them. But I thought about that quote a lot, and I think that's that's kind of where we are in this country, like the... I wondered if Adams really would have realized that if his kids study or his grandchildren study painting and music, they're going to be drastically different than he is. And I think that's where we're at a little bit. You know, a lot of the agricultural policy was written in the 30s, right? We have a, a agriculture is kind of a father's knows best industry. Like, we know what we're doing. Leave us alone. Right? 
We know what we're doing We've here. always done it. Yeah. We've always done it this way. <laughs> Leave us alone, right? And for the most part, we do a really good job, right? And the point, and the, when we wrote the policy, the point was, hey, you know what? We'd just soon not starve to death. So if you guys could raise more food for us, that would be great. And we've done a great job at that. But then it gets a little more complicated because those first problems that we were trying to solve, the generation that's growing up right now has never been aware of those problems to yeah. speak of. So they're trying to come at it from a completely different angle than when Adams was studying politics and war. And I think that's what's that's where we're wow. struggling. It kind of goes back to the hard times make strong people, strong people make easy times, easy times make weak people, and weak people make hard times. Exactly the so, same thing. Yeah. Because yeah. on one hand, you know, we do need regulation, and on the other hand, sometimes it's overregulated in areas because they're trying to drive the outcome that they want. We have both going on. Sure. Yeah. You know, and and then I, th- I think as I think as farmers, you keep your head down and you keep working when, you know, I mean, maybe we ought to be getting in office more. Maybe we ought to be getting involved more. You know, uh, it's hard to complain about it when when th- you know, like the state house, Indiana State House. Uh, Jean Lysing, I think, is the uh, mm-hmm. she's the um, chair of the ag committee in the Senate. She'll talk, she'll talk a lot that there's two or three people in the entire state house that have an agricultural background. And then, and then as farmers, we're like, well, I don't know why they're not, why they're doing that. Oh, I can tell you why they're doing that. It's not because they're bad people or they hate agriculture. They no, don't know. They don't know. They don't know. Be like if you took the three of us into a, a law firm and said, what do you guys think we ought to do today? You know, <laughs> like, I, I don't know. I don't know about the law. I didn't, you know? So I think that's... Uh, I may have taken off on a tangent from you there, but I think that's a little bit where we're struggling. Exactly what we're looking for. That's exactly what we're looking for, and that's kind of the reason we started the whole podcast, uh, The High Ground, to begin with, was try to get the message out. Interestingly enough, we've got uh, the next one we have lined up is is kind of agriculture for novices. You know, we talk in code, so we're going to discuss that. And then we've also got, uh, coming up here at the end of the month, um, uh, United Nations uh, Food and Agriculture Organization. We've got the... uh, Deputy Director of the uh, Food and Agriculture Organization. So that's great. Yeah, that's great. So try to get uh, more information out. That was just that was tremendous. Thank you for sharing. Thank you very much. Yeah, you bet. You bet. So let's jump back to the '30s and and late '20s. Um, Obviously, we're going to do a plug for cooperatives because we are a cooperative, and you're a member of a cooperative. So why are cooperatives important to you? I mean, operation your size and your diversity and. Obviously, a lot of that stuff you're independently doing on your own, but a co-op's still obviously important to you. So why is that? What's important about a co-op to you? Well, I think what you're doing right here is really important. And I know that's not exactly maybe the the, the pat answer, but I, I try to think about, you know, I got associated with this cooperative. It's probably <laughs> going with the rule times two again. That's it's probably been. Was 50. it really twenty years? <laughs> I don't know, but it's been a while. I know. I was thinking that same thing. I was like, twenty years? Really twenty? How's that possible? Uh, but probably twenty years ago, we we used uh, we did not use a co op as much then as we do now, um, and I think a little bit of that, or maybe all of it was I had never really thought about it. And then I got acquainted with Cooper. And he started explaining about a co-op and what it is and the value of that. 
and he's very articulate at that, and I've heard the talk five or six times, and I can still never do it quite as good as he does. Nobody does. It's great, right? And I thought, man, that guy is super passionate about this, and I just, I love when somebody's passionate about something, you know, and I think his vision has been fantastic, which is why we're sitting in this room right now, and... So for me, a co-op's important. I, I think I think a farmer-led, farmer-owned company. I mean, we just talked about, hey, farmers, you need to give your opinion, right? You need to go to the state house. Well, in the boardroom, there's full farmers in there, right? And they're running the company. Absolutely. And that, and that's great. I think that's what's fantastic about the co-op. What's fantastic about this co-op is, you know, I can buy Roundup from any co-op I want, and I can buy fertilizer from any co-op I want. But I think if we really believe that these problems we're talking about of advocacy and misinformation and talking to the consumer and, and, and yes, farmer or yes, our industry is, you know, father knows best, but I think we've showed we're willing to try to improve then what we're doing right here. This I think differentiates premier ag because now you're showing value. I don't know how you put that on the bottom line, but it's real. It's real that we're advocating and we're explaining what we do. So many other industries do a great job of that. And, and I think that – I think agriculture inherently could even be the best at that because how many times – I think you and I, you and I were talking about that, Ryan, about there's some guys on YouTube that they just videotape what they're doing on the farm and it's incredibly successful. I mean people yeah. want to know what we're yeah. doing. Well, let's use that to our advantage then, you know? And I, so I – I think this co-op for me, I think the, the, the vision to do this is, is important. So I buy here because I like farmers. I like farmers telling Harold what to do. There you go. <laughs> That's <laughs> yeah. the best part. Yeah. We like to sit back and watch that. <laughs> Everybody likes that, right? That'd be a good podcast itself. <laughs> that would be a good podcast. <laughs> yeah. We'll just do it. We'll just do a remote. Here, you tell us what Harold needs to be doing. <laughs> this, is your, this is your chance. So I was on the board years ago and, you know, uh, Big farmers, small farmers, uh, farmers. There's a lot of different opinions in there, and and there are days when it's stressful, and I assume it's still the same way. Uh, days when everybody doesn't agree, but that's when the best comes out, right? I, I think a, a big group of farmers, for the most part, if they can uh, take their farmer hat off for a little bit and put their, their their co-op hat on, bring their bring their ideas, bring their passions, I think you get really good stuff. Yep. So yeah, I think agreed. that's what's powerful about a co-op. Agreed. All right. Um, so I guess my last question for you is, is uh, what's the most important lesson you've learned as a, as a farmer, as a, an advocate? What's the most important lesson you've learned in your career as it pertains to success? I'm still hoping I'm going to learn the most important lesson. <laughs> <laughs> i got a long ways to go yet. What's an important one then? Yeah. What's, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, um, it's a grind. You know, it's a grind, but if you get up every day and keep doing it, uh, that's really cliche, but I think the persistence of continuing, and then this might be more of a me than everybody else, but man, don't be scared to try something new and don't be scared to do something. My dad used to say, we're going to do something even if it's wrong, you know, <laughs> and and we've done that, uh, you know, and we've done things that are wrong, you know, but uh, what's the... Uh, Oh, the Navy SEAL, Jocko Willink. Jocko Willink. You yep. guys ever seen that video where they say, where he talks about the problems? And, uh, you know, so every time somebody comes to him, so he's a Navy SEAL, for those that don't know, he's a, I think he was the, I don't know what the 
I wasn't in the military, but he's the leader of this certain group of Navy SEALs. This guy is... The wrong side of him would be the wrong side to be on. Yes. I mean, this guy is, you know, uh, yeah. So in any event, whenever any of the people under his command would come to him and they'd say, you know, we got this problem. And, and they're, they're talking about the problems and they're like real problems. And he always says, good. And they come to good. You know, this keeps going on. So finally, a little later in the video, this this one uh, young fellow comes to me. He's like, listen, I know what you're going to say, but we have this real problem. And he goes, and he goes, what do you think I'm going to say? He says, you're going to say good. And he said, why do you always say that? And he goes, because there will be something good come out of this problem. And and we really tried to, I saw that video for the first time like two months ago. Yep. And we have really tried to do that. Because, I mean, you do learn a whole lot more from a, Kicking the oh the, gosh, the, yes. the the tail parts than you do a pat on the back. So I think for us it's try new things. Don't be scared. Um, there's a ton of opportunity out there, and if you keep working hard, it it works out. It just does. I don't know why. It just does. That's good. All right, Brian. That's all I've got. That's all I've got, Brian. Thanks so much for being here. I think Welcome. this is great. We want to continue to shine a positive light on agriculture. It's going to take guys like you to to help us do that. So uh, well, we, your time was uh, your time was precious. I understand that your dad's probably at home looking at your time <laughs> card, going, "He's not here," and he didn't clock out. I imagine. But, I, that, <laughs> you know, we always say funny. that uh, having a family business is like being married twice. So I don't imagine he's that worried about me being gone. <laughs> Thank goodness we don't have to listen to him little, today. Little time. Away, <laughs> little time huh? away. Yeah. Yeah. That works too. All right. Well, we hope to have you back, and uh, always a pleasure to see you. So, that's another episode of the High Ground, powered by our Premier Companies. Thank you all, and please like and subscribe. <laughs>